0: may I mean, it's time. We have to say goodbye to Third Eye Kai, the eye in the sky.
3: Dearly beloved, you're gathered here today to remember... Kyrie Irving's tenure with the Nets to refresh our memories of all the content that he blessed us with during his time in Brooklyn
2: Lord Yahweh why why'd you have to take him from us why oh man we'll always have the memories bro it's
3: all about the memories
2: it's all about the memories who could forget Kyrie Irving burning sage in Boston Garden you hear that yeah
3: that's the lighter. I'm already burning sage in my office right now. Oh, man. What's the opposite of sage? What do you do to remove the cleansing energy of sage? I guess that's up to Spencer Dinwiddie and Dorian Finney-Smith. Yeah. I'd say you have to pass
0: gas,
2: you know, because
3: you can't spell sage without gas backwards. I'm in disbelief right now. I'm stunned into silence.
2: I'm agassed at it. <laughs> what was your
3: favorite memory of Kyrie's time in Brooklyn? I mean...
2: This one's easy for me. This is when the NBA, in the midst of a COVID pandemic, told everybody to stay away from large groups, stay away from people who were not in the usual circle that you interacted with. And Kyrie said, got it, and then went to a birthday party the next day. Ah, what a time. What a time that was. And trying to justify it, too. I was like, what? It was my best friend's sister's cousin's birthday. What, I'm going to not say happy birthday? What are we? Philistines!
0: I just think about all the Boston Celtics memories, the sage, the double birds that he flipped to the fans. Stepping on Lucky on the show, we always wondered where his third eye was. I mean, sometimes it might be on his forehead, but we learned that in that moment, it was on the back of his head because he was flipping the birds to a fan without even looking. He knew how to triangulate those birds.
3: I'm torn between the... Classic quote that we've used so many times KD could be the coach. I could be the coach Yeah, Jacques Vaughn could be the coach Jacques Vaughn is the coach mm-hmm. and when he said that he's gonna sit down with Sean and Joe Yeah, Kevin settle these things figure out the future of the franchise manage reform you might say Reform. Oh, that was the brother of his own. Yeah, that's another one. What happened to all them towers?
1: slow train coming
3: huh?
2: Reform, Lama. Reform. We also have scary hours. Oh, who could forget scary hours? (laughs) The scariest. It was scary, all right, for the Nets. Oh, 10 games in the regular season. All we had,
0: James Harden, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant. All of that, the bluster, six games in the postseason, 16 total with those guys. Remember the trade deadline last year? Maze, it feels like... This is cosmic of the skies, of the ether, the fact that one year anniversary coming up of this program, Basketball Illuminati podcast, this time last year, was it in existence?
3: No. I'm going to shed one slow rolling tear down my cheek thinking of how much he's blessed us with in a year and to think that he's moved on ashes to ashes, dust to dust, to a new city, a new location Big Dealey Plaza. I'm sure he'll have lots of thoughts on that. The man who taught us to do our own research. There's no telling what the future will hold.
2: I like in these sorts of times, not to look back, but to look forward, Mm. to be optimistic. And I, for one, cannot wait for Kyrie Irving to learn about all the different JFK conspiracies that exist in the greater Dallas Metroplex. There's a grassy knoll. There's the book depository. There's so much more that he can discover and educate us all because this will be brand new to him. He'll assume it's brand new to everybody else as well.
3: Also, I don't know if you guys know this, but Dallas has a third eye. What? Does it? It's a giant 30-foot tall eyeball. No. Right in the middle of downtown Dallas. Giant sculpture. What? Never seen this. Should have read the tea leaves. Should have followed this from day one. There's nowhere else Kyrie Irving could have gone.
0: Well, this trade happened, and we know that some people signed off on it, including Jason Kidd. I want you guys right now to go to his basketball reference page. Mm Mm-hmm. Tell me what his middle name is. Middle name is Frederick. Yeah, what are those initials?
1: JFK. Oh! My assignment. Uncover why the association inspires more conspiracy theories in volume and salience, than any other U.S. sport. You've heard of the Illuminati.
2: The truth
0: is out there, but so are lies.
1: Your eyes can deceive you. Don't trust them. The NBA has always been controlled by about eight people.
2: Denial is the most predictable of all human responses. If you're only using 10% of your brain, you don't even know that you're using 10% of your brain.
1: The NBA Illuminati. (laughs) Coincidences are just coincidences. Why do they feel so contrived? The Illuminati. But you start to follow the money? And you don't know where the f is gonna take you. It is unspoken. They have influence among other players. The NBA over my head. I don't have time for your convenient ignorance. Maybe I'm a conspiracist now as well. That's but all it took. Oh, we got books, we got schools. You saw a video on YouTube. <laughs> Why am I, sir? You've never used them before. We are the basketball and <laughs>
0: This is Basketball Illuminati. I am Tom Haberstroh, and as always, I'm joined by the five-star generals, El Hassan, and producer Anthony Mays. It is trade deadline week. Everyone has been waiting for February 8th, because that's the day before February 9th of the trade deadline, 3 o'clock on Thursday. It has arrived. We are in trade deadline week, which is why we have a double truth teller on the way. From the Athletic and Stadium, Shams Tirania, yeah. Truth Teller, joining the show. Not to be outdone, we have a fellow Truth Teller, News Breaker Extraordinaire from Yahoo Sports, Jake Fisher, returning to the program to give us his breadcrumbs as we head into the deadline. We're gonna get into those interviews that you can't find anywhere else, and we were a part of history. A trade broke in the middle of our segment. Wait till you hear what happened, what transpired. It is amazing. But first.
4: You are listening to The Agenda with Tom Haverstrow and Amin El-Hassan.
2: Maybe it's me, but I think we need to talk about LeBron.
0: What is there to talk about? I mean, maybe it's me, but I kind of feel like he made the trade for Russell Westbrook. And now he's got to sleep in that bed. So why is he so upset?
3: Maybe it's me, but lebron has been pretty emotional lately. We've had the Celtics game. We've had this trade deadline situation. He really wants some help. Maybe it's me, but I'm worried about him.
2: It's funny because they were one of the teams that has been long linked. Obviously Kyrie Irving, LeBron played with him. You got the connection there. You got the connection with other members in the organization. Maybe it's me. Maybe it just wasn't meant to be. Maybe it's
0: me, but I kind of feel like he's been talking out of both sides of his mouth here. Because when he was... This summer asked about the Kareem Abdul Jabbar record. He was non-committal, just like, I ah, don't care, not a priority. And then all of a sudden the Kyrie Irving trade happens and you find him all over the national spotlight. He does a sit-down with Dave McMenamin, does a sit-down with Michael Wilbaum. I mean, maybe it's me, but LeBron does actually care about this record. And I think Kyrie Irving trade, the non-trade, reinforces the fact that he really wants it.
3: Maybe it's me, but I don't think he's thinking about the record too much. I think he's thinking about that next championship trophy. That's what it's all about for LeBron. Maybe it's me, but a championship is the ultimate goal, and that's all that really counts.
2: Maybe it's me, but getting a five puts him at least on par with Kobe Mm. and one behind Jordan. The crazy thing about it is, Tom, you said he cares about the record. I believe he cares about the record. Maybe it's me, but I really think he thought Kyrie was going to be a Laker. Felt like he had his heart set on it. It didn't happen. And you have to ask yourself, the Nets got Dorian Finney-Smith, Spencer Dinwiddie, and an unprotected 2029 first-round pick as well as a couple of seconds. Maybe it's me, but I think the Lakers could have somewhat matched that, no? Yeah, I think... When you look at the trade that was reportedly offered
0: Russell Westbrook and the two picks to the Nets, maybe it's me, but I really think that Rob Polinka's is sticking it to LeBron here is that he dangles those assets in that trade and then just kind of leaves it hanging.
3: Rob Polinka apparently didn't want to put Austin Reeves in this deal. Maybe it's me, but I would give up Austin Reeves for Kyrie Irving.
2: Maybe it's me, but I can't believe that was the sticking point. I can't believe anyone would say, no, 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 I can't give up Austin Reeves. That's too much. Do you think the call was dropping and Rob Polinka on the phone with Shaw
0: Marks, it was a little patchy, and they couldn't figure out who was responsible for the bad signal, and Rob just said, maybe it's me?
3: Maybe it's me, but pretty sure these GMs have cell phone service. Maybe it's me.
2: Maybe it's me. That felt like a very long walk in the park by Tom. (laughs) Look, here's the reality. Kyrie- was the highest-profile player on the market, and the Lakers had a chance to get him, and they didn't. Maybe it's me, but I just think in years past, we wouldn't be singing that story. We wouldn't be talking about the Lakers swinging and missing. I mean, Maybe
0: it's me, but I like walks in the park. I mean, who doesn't like a walk in the park? It's calming. It's relaxing. I'm sure LeBron James did that after the Boston Celtics, which someone close to him told both Joe Varden and Zach Lowe that that Boston Celtics finish was... The second time he's felt cheated in his career, the other time being the J.R. Smith. No, not that time. The other thing was the KD (laughs) charge. Sorry. Yep. I need another walk in the park. I mean, maybe it's me, but I kind of feel like the J.R. Smith should be the second time he's felt cheated out of something.
3: Maybe it's me, but J.R. Smith didn't cheat LeBron. He just J.R.'d it.
2: Maybe it's me, but the way you said that made me think of Liam Neeson in Honest Thief. I didn't cheat you, LeBron. I just didn't play certain things.
0: Maybe it's me, but I'd feel like that is one of your best impressions that you've got. You got to bring it into the rotation.
3: It was a long Liam Neeson month, believe me. The impressions are sharp. <laughs> it was a fertile ground. Maybe it's me, but I'm ready to leave Liam Neeson month behind. What if the Lakers dodged a bullet here? Maybe it's me, but we all saw how a month of silence, a couple months of non action in Kyrie Irving land led to an unexpected trade demand out of nowhere maybe it's me but it's only a matter of time before the storm comes after the calm
2: i have a crazy theory maybe it's just me but og ananobi i think he's the real pendulum swinger in this entire trade market
0: i mean maybe it's me i don't think he's going to the lakers i think the lakers are screwed here When you look at the assets they have and they don't have Kyle Kuzma or Contavious Caldwell Pope anymore, Alex Caruso, all these rotation players, maybe it's me, but I don't think Russell Westbrook is taking this press tour, LeBron's press tour. I don't think he's taking it very well, how he's disappointed about Kyrie Irving not coming to him because Russell Westbrook knows that the only way they can get Kyrie Irving is through Russell Westbrook getting jet out of there.
2: It's got to be him.
0: And maybe it's me, but I feel like LeBron James
3: didn't realize the collateral damage there.
2: You think Russell Westbrook woke up in the morning, looked in the mirror and said, maybe it's me?
3: Why not? Maybe it's me, but I think we've been stringing out this bit a little bit too long. We should probably get on to our truth teller insider guests, Sham Sharania and Jake Fisher.
2: Double dose of truth. I'm Alex Rodriguez.
1: And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg.
4: Well, I'm not licked, And I'm going
1: to stay right here and fight for this lost cause. Even if this room gets filled with lies like these. And the tailors and all their armies come marching into this place. Somebody will listen to me.
2: There's no better way to overpower a trickle of doubt than with a flood of naked truth. But the complexity and the gray lie not in the truth. But what you do do with the truth truth once you have it. What is true and right is true and right for all. You and I both know that that's just not the truth. You
4: can't handle the truth. It's too
3: messy. Keeps them up nice. I'm here because in the end, the truth is worth the risk. Speak a little truth and people lose their minds.
4: Tell me the truth. Why is it people who want the truth never believe it when they hear it? So you
1: know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do something really outrageous. I'm going to tell the truth.
0: All right, we're bringing in Truth Teller extraordinaire, Shams Charania of The Athletic and Stadium. He has a trade deadline special on Thursday. The trade deadline. It goes on air 2 p.m. Eastern on WatchStadium.com or wherever you get your stadium app or on the site. Shams, welcome to the show.
1: Appreciate you guys having me. I appreciate both of you guys from day one. You guys know that you guys were there when I was 17, 18 years old, coming to NBA Finals games. Tommy, you were like Miami Vice running Miami back in those days. It was always good to learn from you guys, see how you guys operated. So I appreciate you guys as always. Thank you.
0: I mean, I don't know if I've told you this story, but Brian Winhurst pulled me aside one time and he's like, you see that kid over there? You see that kid? That's the chosen one. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Brian is my guy, man. I remember with Brian, I'll give you a good Brian story real quick. So I went to Milwaukee to go cover a Heat Bucks game. Chris Anderson, Birdman was like a few weeks into like 10-day contracts. And I was so naive at the time, guys. Like I didn't know locker room etiquette. I didn't know anything. Like I would go up to guys. And I honestly think that naivety helped me because I didn't know rules. Like I was just moving with no rules. So I remember I went up to Birdman before the game. I could tell he kind of looked at me like, yo, is this kid really trying to talk to me? <laughs> it was a Great interview. I talked to him for like 15 minutes. I put the story out the next day. I remember Brian sent me a long email, giving me a lot of just positive reinforcement. I think he was definitely the first person that gave me love and helped me validate myself that, yeah, these drives in Milwaukee are worth it. So shout out, Brian. <laughs> now, why would he do that? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Shavs, you broke the trade, the Kyrie Irving trade. And when you go back in your career and you think about your biggest breaks, your biggest scoops... Does it even rank top 10 at this point, getting the Kyrie Irving trade to Dallas? Like where does this one rank?
1: You're only good as your next one, right? So for me, it's everything. Good answer. I'll always look back. And I think 2020 for all of us probably had a different meaning just because no one really knew what was going on. So I think there was definitely that extra importance on news and really digging up the truth on whatever it was, COVID, social justice, anything. And I think 2020 will definitely be the most important year for a lot of us for a variety of reasons, but you're only as good as being 100% accurate, 100% truthful, like you guys are on the Bass Illuminati podcast. So you're always (laughs) as good as your next one. So to me, that's my number one.
2: Talking about the Kyrie deal, how long had this been in the works between Dallas and Brooklyn?
1: For Dallas, here's something. They've been looking at Kyrie Irving as a guy that they feel like could be their co-star with Luka Doncic. They've been looking into this really since November, like Mm. since Kyrie Irving had that tweet link situation, the Mavericks quietly were the one team that were like, yo, if we can trade for him now or if he gets released by the Nets somehow, some way, he's coming here. Like we want him bad. And I think That sounds from Mark Cuban having the aggressiveness. Nico Harrison, Jason Kidd, they wanted Kyrie Irving as well. Nico Harrison has a relationship with him from Nike. Jason Kidd had a long relationship with him just as point guards. Jersey, you know, Jason Kidd played New Jersey. Kyrie grew up in New Jersey. So I think there were a lot of reasons. Yo, I got to.
4: We are experiencing minor technical difficulties.
2: Shams has dropped. Oh, wow. He has left. Shams bomb. Something big just happened. Oh, man. Yo, this will be dope. I hope he better tweet something. Let's go to his Twitter account. Okay. (laughs) Yeah.
0: This is no joke. This is happening live. Middle of our interview.
2: Shams said, yo, and then his screen went blank. I saw it happen. I saw the recognition in his eyes that something is happening. You guys have to remember. We're recording this the day before the trade deadline. The fact that we got him even in this window of time is pretty remarkable.
0: I like that he timed the phone call in the middle of our interview, so this would be good for content.
3: Oh, this is awesome, man. He's thinking with his third eye open. That's right.
0: What is the new story? What is the breaking news, the scoop that he has on his phone right now on this show? Oh.
2: The Miami Heat are trading center Dwayne Dedman and a second round pick to the San Antonio Spurs. That's uh, on Shamsarania. Wow. wow. Uh, we were there. It's a Miami based third. Oh, man. Yeah. Hell yeah. That's what you get for throwing that there
3: again. We're going to throw you out of Miami. Pat Riley. What up, guys? All right. He's back.
1: Oh, man. What's up? So exciting, man. Live breaking news. I don't know how you guys are going to cut that up, but that'll be fun. That's my challenge for the day. <laughs> okay. So
0: you just reported the Dwayne Dedman trade. So you obviously have every trade possible in a drafts folder, right? Like you don't actually type out Dwayne Dedman traded. You just have every variant of a trade
1: pre-written, right? Well, I think with Dwayne Dedman, we kind of knew he was going to be traded. They haven't played him as much as I think he wanted or, or as much as his role. They've been playing Orlando Robinson a lot more. You guys know that track in Miami, but I think that move was always going to happen. And so now it's about what's the next move. And so I think this is a setup to something potentially more for Miami. What is that? Don't ask me. Ask the part <laughs> office expert. Like, don't ask me. <laughs>
2: <laughs> They're 200 grand under the luxury tax. You get rid of Deadman's $4.7 million cap hit for this season. Next year's was non-guaranteed. So for San Antonio, this is basically a free second round pick for them. I'll ask you straight up. This is definitely a move to clear out some space here under the tax to make another deal, right?
1: Yeah. I think the fact that, like you said, you get under the tax, you get off a second round pick, and then the other thing is now you have two roster spots to play with. So okay. this is a perfect trade for a setup if you're trying to take on three contracts and moving one. If you're trying to take on four contracts and moving two, this is the type of deal, as Amin knows and as we've seen in these types of circumstances. Like, why do you need two open roster spots? Basso Illuminati, like, let's uh, break it down here, you know? <laughs>
2: Well, our third eyes are wide open now.
0: Were the Miami Heat in on the Kyrie Irving stuff? We have your story here on The Athletic, talking about how they had a handful of suitors the Nets did with the Lakers, the Suns, the Mavericks, and the Clippers. Pat Riley and Heat Culture with Eric Spolstra, it might seem like a destination for a volatile or a lot of off-court issues with Kyrie Irving. They always bet on talent. Were they ever engaged with the Brooklyn Nets for Kyrie Irving?
1: I have heard that Miami was doing a lot of intel and had shown a level of interest in Kyrie Irving throughout the process. I don't know if they had discussions with the Nets and if they had made any offers, but they definitely showed interest in Kyrie Irving once he requested a trade. And I think they did some intel work on him as well that I was aware of. So it's interesting with Kyrie Irving when he's going through these turbulent moments throughout his career, talking about his value, right? Like how valuable is he across the league? And I think we saw once he hit the open market on Friday, and I wrote about this in The Athletic on Sunday night, just the arms race that happened between the Lakers, the Clippers, the Suns, the Mavericks, possibly Miami. Like there were teams reaching out, making strong offers, trying to get him into the mix.
2: How safe is it to say that the Dallas Mavericks offer was the best offer?
1: I think it was the best offer. If the Suns got to three first-round picks, With Jay Crowder and Chris Paul, I think that deal gets done. If the Lakers put in Austin Reeves, maybe another player or a swap or multiple swaps, I think that gets done. But the offers were the offers. The Suns' best offer was Chris Paul, Jay Crowder in a first. The Lakers' best offer was Russell Westbrook in two firsts. I reported this yesterday when I was doing video. The Lakers put both first-round picks on the table, but when they were asked about a price, and, you know, Amin knows how negotiations go, right? Like a team that's trying to trade a guy like Kyrie Irving, you're going to ask for everything. Mm -hmm. I'm sure the conversations with Dallas, they didn't say in the moment, yeah, we want one first and two seconds. It was, we want two first-round picks. And then you negotiate down and you have a negotiation. And yeah, the Nets asked for a lot of stuff out of the Lakers, but they also were not given a counter offer and they did not hear from the Lakers. On the final day, Kyrie Irving was a net and the day he got traded, which was Sunday. So definitely an interesting wrinkle into all this as far as like, do you make the most competitive offer that you can make or do you just stop? not wanting to go the price.
0: Was it your understanding that Rob Palinka in the front office had communicated with the Nets that that was our final offer? It is not getting bigger than this. Or do you think that they just were waiting and they didn't realize that the negotiation was over? The trade
1: is done. I can't say the latter. I can't say whether they conceded defeat or they just did not know that the deal would happen on Sunday. I can't answer to that. But the first part, I know they never told the Nets that this is our final offer. Take it or leave it. That was never said.
0: Because you also reported in that piece that over the summer, when the contract negotiations fell through with Kyrie Irving, that the Lakers had requested for permission to speak with Kyrie Irving's representatives. And then when they got that request, you said Irving's agent, Shatali Riley Irving did not hear from any member of the Lakers front office. So there's almost like this theme or this trend of the Lakers engage, but then they don't follow through or at least go to the max for
1: Kyrie Irving. This is the basketball Monati show, right? Third eye open. <laughs> I'm going to let you guys take that one. <laughs> I mean, listen, I think that that was an interesting wrinkle. When the Nets gave the Lakers permission, the Lakers were the only team that received permission to speak to Kyrie Irving last June. And... Kyrie Irving nor his representative ever heard from the Lakers from that moment of receiving permission. Hmm. So, you know, fill in the blank is basically what you're saying. (laughs) Connect the dots. What I'm saying is it's a fact that that occurred. And so this is the best Illuminati show. The viewers always have their third eye open.
3: Mm -hmm. Shams, you said that the Mavs have been interested in Kyrie for a while here since the tweet a few months back. But... Were they not interested over the summer? Did something change for them? What prompted them to push their chips into the table for this trade here?
1: They had somewhat level of interest in Kyrie Irving, even last summer. But it's a difference between poking around or thinking about it. But another thing, too, in November that we saw was, I think the Maurits had identified that this is a guy that we really want here. I think last summer when they looked into it and they had a tepid level of interest, it was, okay, if we can get him, hopefully, maybe. But I think in November, because of everything that happened with the controversy with the movie link, if he got waived, we want him. If there's an opening, we want him. And so the opening came at the end of the day when Tyree Irving requested a trade. And at that point, it was not just the Mavericks. It was four or five teams that seriously were involved here in this process.
2: Shams, if I ask you to answer this multiple choice question, Kevin Durant will be a net until a. Thursday, B, Draft Day, C, Trade Deadline 2024, or D, Silly Rabbit, he's gonna be in net forever. <laughs> I'm gonna go E. I don't make predictions. That's what I'm. Gonna say. <laughs> it's
1: very hard. You guys have been around the league a really long time. Star players of that caliber. I guess Kyrie Irving, you know, he asked out. He's in somewhat of a different boat because he's a pending free agent. He asked for a trade several days before the deadline and he gets out. Kevin Durant doesn't have that same latitude. He's under contract for three years. When we've seen players of multiple years on their deal or even a full year left on their deal ask for a trade, it usually takes weeks, right? So just because of timing perspective, just history of how these things go and precedent, I would be shocked if Kevin Durant was moved by Thursday, but We're taping this on Tuesday, so don't really hold me to it. But Kevin Durant, if I had to hedge you right now, I would say he's going to be a Brooklyn Net.
0: Okay, last question before we get you out of here. I appreciate you, and you can find Shams Charania on the watchstadium.com trade deadline special 2 o'clock on Thursday, or you'll have your clone be on TV while you are actually on your phone off camera. Shams, where do the Lakers go from here? What are you hearing? What's your sense of what LeBron wants and what the Lakers want and what happens to Russell Westbrook
1: and Anthony Davis? They're trying to improve this team from everything I'm told. I mean, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, I believe that they want this team to be improved because as LeBron James has said multiple times in interviews publicly, I think he believes privately as well. He feels like if this team has another piece like a Kyrie Irving or another couple pieces that this team could make a jump to an NBA finals type of run this year, potentially. So that level of confidence means that you have to try to go out there for your best player and put your all on the table. And I think whether it's Boyan Bogdanovich, you know, you have to look at the Toronto guys, Gary Trent, Fred VanVleet, Ojiana Anubi, you probably don't have enough for Pascal, but you have to make that call. The Utah players, Mike Conley, Beasley, Vanderbilt, can you possibly get those guys? Does Terry Rozier make sense? I think those are really the scenarios that you're, you're juggling and you're looking into if you're the Lakers, because if you don't get Kyrie Irving and you have to still improve this team, here's your window. And those are really the scenarios that I'm looking at. And I'm sure Rob Polinka and that organization is too.
0: jobs thank you so much. And thank you for timing those trades and those calls in the middle of our interviews. So we have more content. That's great.
1: Thank you. I appreciate you guys. I can't wait to see how this comes out. And, you know, again, I'm appreciative to you guys for everything you guys have meant to my career. and just looking at how you guys work. So it goes a long way. I know it means to remember that dinner we had way, way, way back when. So thank you guys. Have a good one. Chosen one. <laughs>
0: Jake, as part of our trade deadline extravaganza on Basketball Illuminati this week, we just had Shams Tarania on the program and he stopped the interview, went dark turn off his mic and reported the Dwayne Dedman trade to the Spurs in the middle of the interview.
4: That's how you do it. So balls in your court. (laughs) What you got for us? Listen, if there's anything I've learned in the last two years in this transaction space, (laughs) certain folks have a little bit of advantage in me at the (laughs) finish line here. If this is a marathon, I kill it miles one through 20. And then the final stretch, I start to shake hands and say hi to the fans (laughs) who are there offering beers and Congratulations. It's a
2: good time. <laughs> you're, you're, the one, you're the guy who's drinking a beer end of the race. Jake, there's no shame in being the exposition guy. I don't think we give enough credit to the exposition guys out there in the business because anyone could tell me that a transaction has happened, but I need someone to tell me why it happened and what this means for everything else. And that's where you come in. I try.
0: No, he's a two-way player. He can do both.
4: I will tell you, not anyone could tell you. I mean, yes, the press release can do that, and there's a scramble at the end. But it's funny how people are so willing to chat, so willing to talk from December 12th, December 15th, all the way until this weekend, and now Monday comes around and things just go quiet. <laughs> it's like a routine. It happens every year.
0: So we had you on a few months ago. You were battling COVID. Right now, you're battling trade deadline-itis. <laughs> how are you feeling? You tweeted out, you think it should be illegal for Apple to had that Sunday screen time report. So can you break it for us on Basketball Illuminati? What was your screen time on Sunday?
4: Oh, man. So I watched that documentary whenever it was that came out on Netflix about how all these apps psychologically try to manipulate you with push notifications and whatnot. I believe on that doc, it said like the average American screen time is four hours on their phone. So I try... So hard to not go above five typically. And I have a Twitter lock. I have a 30 minute limit most days. Now it's up to two hours because it says what it is.
0: (laughs) Just blowing through it every time.
4: And I was on my phone for eight hours a day last week, which doesn't sound like a ton compared to like crazy numbers I've heard other reporters say. I try so hard to have a work life balance. Eight hours sounds like a disgusting amount. I mean, think about it. If you're up for 18 hours a day, eight of those hours you were looking at your phone. That's pretty disgusting to me.
3: I'm just dodging a bullet that computer isn't included in that yet. If they included your computer, I'd be in trouble. Phone, I can keep it under control because I can't edit a podcast on a phone, thankfully.
4: For sure. Well, look, we're recording this at noon on Tuesday by six o'clock tonight from all the screen time between phone and computer. My left eye, I guarantee you, will be twitching from lack of sleep. What about your third eye? Yeah, what about your forehead eye? My forehead eye is always open. You guys
0: know that. (laughs) Doesn't get tired. You know what? The reason why you're not finishing that marathon at first is because you just don't want it enough. You don't want it badly enough. Shams Charani was reported by the New York Post last year that he has a 17 to 18 hours a day on screen time. Oh my God. And that sometimes it gets higher than 20. You just don't want it badly enough. You know,
4: honestly, you're right. I mean, I was talking to someone with the Lakers on Sunday morning, as it was kind of clear that they were out of the Kyrie running. And the guy literally said to me, you're not going to break the Kyrie trade. And I said, yeah, I'm pretty comfortable with that. (laughs) And he said five, seven years from now, when, you know, the guys that you're really in with younger dudes, your generation are in power in theory, you'll be right there. And I said, I don't know. It's pretty chill to not have the pressure to deliver every single trade transaction and just kind of scour the league and put some notes out. I'm kind of okay with the lane that I'm in right now. I mean, I go to games and I see certain people pregame courtside trying to chat up literally everybody with a pulse. Honestly, sometimes certain nights, that just seems very high school to me. And like, I just want to hang out with the people I like.
2: Oh, that's the fun part. But like to
4: go up to someone who you don't know and be like, what's up, bro? I'm Jake. Oh, yeah, yeah. No cold calls. And the in-person cold call is cool sometimes. But I would just prefer to go about this as like organically and like, I'm just a guy. You're just a guy as possible, you know?
2: Jake, let me ask you, what's the lowest level employee? You don't have to tell me the name, obviously, but the rank. Who you would consider a source?
4: I try not to like consider anybody a source, which is like the bullshit cliche answer.
0: Wow. This is not the program to be bullshitting with us, Jake. Come on. Give us the truth.
4: To me, anyone who's got primary access to something happening, like if there's a video room coordinator who was asked to cut film on Will Barton from another team, that to me is at least an interesting data point. It's not a tell necessarily, but I feel like my job is to always collect those relevant things that could one day add up to X, Y, or Z.
2: I'm not talking about for a specific thing. I'm talking about wells that you have revisited.
4: Oh. Look, like a high school trainer to a high school coach to a college basketball manager that is just friends with a player. Mm. All those people sometimes know something. Yeah, It is random how people come in and out of your life from a story you worked on seven years ago. They're hitting you up about something or vice versa. It really can be anyone. Information, I mean, I got dinner with someone on Saturday night who said they knew someone who knew Cam Johnson, who was trying to say that Cam Johnson had certain preferences about where he would and would not be traded back during the Kevin Durant trade sweepstakes. Let's say that's all I'll say to that. I don't know if that's true, but if I can take that and then go get it confirmed by somebody, then would you consider that first person of source? Then yeah, probably
0: it's a crumb. It's not necessarily the fully baked piece of bread, right? It's just a little crumb that leads you to the bread.
4: Exactly. And you know what? Whether I'm just like a little rat in the street eating crumbs or I'm the ratatouille pulling the guy's hair in a five-star kitchen, we're just chasing crumbs everywhere. (laughs)
0: Still (laughs) a rat. Jake, you started your career around the Philadelphia 76ers. It is Super Bowl week. How much of your stress or how much of your brain activity right now is trying to suppress Eagles stuff and (laughs) how much of it is trade deadline?
4: Thankfully, we'll have Friday, Saturday to just fully go birds all day. But it is tough to see my group chats sending media day stuff and freaking out. And like I can't get excited about it. My mom sent me some Eagles thing that's happening in New York on Wednesday night on email today. And I was like, come on, mom. You know I can't attend whatever event that is. I'll be glued to my phone for nine hours a day. But look, I want to use this platform to say this. For all the people out there who take my Eagles fandom and my Philadelphia nativeness and want to say that I'm carrying out Sixers agendas, nice. I truly do not care about the Philadelphia 76ers any more than any other team. When I was 17 years old, yes, 100%. (laughs) When I was 20 years old as a blogger for Liberty Ballers, and that was the epicenter of my world, yes. But right now, they're just another... One of the 30 teams that are trying to do a couple things here and there. Good times.
0: The Kyrie Irving trade is done, but can you walk me through your reporting and what you were hearing leading up to that? And then after the trade was apparently not completed, they were trying to keep that window open a little bit to maybe loop in, as you reported, the Toronto Raptors. Ultimately, they did not have a three-team trade that kept it at two. But can you just walk me through your reporting and what you learned about that Kyrie Irving trade as it happened?
4: Honestly, I kind of have to tip my hat to Kyrie Irving and his people for the way they played this out because you back to June and when he was given permission by the Nets to go around and try to seek sign-and-trade opportunities... Phoenix was definitely not involved at that point in time, but the Lakers, Dallas, Miami all came up. I mean, Philly was an olive branch he threw out and wanted to see if they would (laughs) grab it and pull him onto the other side of the river, but that didn't happen. And then at the time, the Lakers package of Russell Westbrook and two picks, I haven't been told there were substantive talks back then, but like it was made very clear to the Lakers and to Kyrie, that type of deal was just not going to fly for Brooklyn at that point in time. So when he requested the trade on Friday, the reaction online of like, this guy's a clown and Kyrie does it again, was certainly being echoed by league personnel, high ranking people and powerful agents looking at him as being like, well, you know, his options are very limited. We'll see what he gets here. Brooklyn could just say, ha we're not going to trade you. We're going to compete for a championship again. Lo and behold, by Saturday, it seemed pretty real that Phoenix, the Lakers, Dallas, and then the Clippers were absolutely making headway there. And then by Sunday morning, it was narrowed down to Phoenix and Dallas. There's obviously been a ton of reporting about how Max Christie and Austin Reeves were like holdups and a potential Lakers thing. I don't know if the Los Angeles Lakers, the Hollywood Lakers, the star franchise of this league with LeBron James and Anthony Davis with a chance to get Kyrie Irving. I'm skeptical that those two players would have stood in the way of them getting him. But then again, I had definitely heard consistently from people around Los Angeles that they were not going to put anyone really of a young upside type of player in that deal. That being said, What this really just came down to was that Brooklyn has been consistent since the second Kevin Durant requested a trade last summer that they're just going to continue to try to build a winning team, a championship contending team around Kevin Durant to try to keep him invested in that situation. He's 34, just like the Lakers situation of trying to optimize LeBron while they have him, while he's still playing at the peak of these powers, the Nets are wanting to do the same with Kevin Durant. So to get Spencer Dinwiddie back to get Dorian Finney-Smith back, who is definitely credited as a player that Durant has valued and wanted. And I know Dallas looked at adding Dorian this time last year too, when the Mavericks were kind of deciding whether or not to move him to be able to pay Dylan Brunson more. And, you know, we can Whoa. skip over that part to save the Mavericks fans <laughs> to get those two players back and a 2029 unprotected pick, which the Nets were very keen on pointing out as well beyond the guarantee length of Luka Doncic's contract. That will be become another, like the Lakers pick in 2016 or whatever it was. Post Kobe was like such a pick that was being discussed for a time. And like that Nets pick that Boston ended up trading for Kyrie Irving was like this big pick. Ooh, Mm -hmm. what could this pick be? What's the value of this pick? What it actually conveys? Like that's going to end up being one of those types of picks because look, Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving certainly has a high ceiling, but there's no guarantee that will last. For the, like the Lucas contract, let alone 2029. So for now. Brooklyn was clearly trying to find a third team to make something happen. Everyone in the league was saying Toronto and everyone in the league is still looking at Toronto. That was the thing this morning. People are just waiting for Toronto. So that's kind of where things stand right now.
0: What about for those who've kept their third eye open on this program, the Zach Levine rumors and the Lakers and whether the Lakers, now that they're left at the altar with Kyrie Irving going to Dallas, is that going to potentially reignite? Those talks of let's bring in a Zach Levine, if we can't get Kyrie, who is next on that list for the Lakers?
4: The Lakers can add an additional pick this summer. That's something I think will be a major factor in their planning if they don't find a deal that makes sense for them right now. I mean, Zach Levine would clearly get their juices flowing, but it's been pretty consistent all along that Chicago doesn't have a huge appetite, let's say, to move on from Zach right now. If anything, I think they're looking at ways to kind of tweak this roster to get a little bit better to try to sneak into the play-in tournament. They've been one team, for example, I know is called on Bones Highland. And obviously, their point guard situation is a bit in flux with Bonzo Ball being out for the year. But to bring it back to the Lakers, the big scenario is that if they don't move Russell Westbrook now, they're kind of in a position, asset management-wise, where they kind of have to think about extending him. I know that's where it gets really, really tricky because I haven't been given clearance to say too, too much here, but I'll say this. He doesn't want to be a minimum contract player. So wait, it's going to continue to be a wonky situation. Will there be sign and trade opportunities in theory for him? Yes but I think it does benefit the Lakers to try to move off of him with one pick now. And then they're back in a situation in the summer with two picks coming into play. And maybe they've raised their ceiling just a little bit this season.
2: Wait a second. Well, you say he doesn't want to be a minimum player. No one does. Nobody does. Obviously, (laughs) but I'll take that.
4: Yep. Me and
3: Tom are raising our hands. Yeah. Okay. We'll take that.
2: Yep. Okay. (laughs) I guess what we're saying here is that open it up. I mean, open it up. Allen Iverson famously did not want to be anything other than Allen Iverson. The moment they asked him to be less than Allen Iverson in Memphis, he said, you know what? Never mind. And this whole career thing, just you could keep basketball. We're saying that if all he gets are minimum offers, which is a high likelihood, right? There's a high likelihood that teams are going to look at him as a minimum player just because the exceptions that teams are going to use are going to probably go to players that, You don't have to worry about as much accepting the role that they're going to be in. Or is he doing that thing where it's like, ah, you know, I'm not going to pay for minimum because you don't want to let it be known that you would actually pay for minimum. Someone
4: asked me the other day, would Russell Westbrook be worth the same contract that Memphis gave Tyus Jones, a two-year, $30 million deal this past summer? Or would he even be able to get that? And- I think that's probably like a one-year deal, a J.J. Redick type contract with Philly previously. Mm-hmm. which was a different scenario because that was a rebuilding team, like you mentioned earlier, who was trying to overpay to get a veteran in there. But a short-term deal that still kind of pays him for his star value, let's say, something mm-hmm. like what Victor Oladipo did, like that one-year $10 million contract in Miami. Mm-hmm. That was two seasons ago. Mm-hmm. That expired and then he resigned this past summer. Something like that. I certainly can see happening, but for him to sniff anywhere close to the forty million dollar value that he's had, it's gone. Yeah, I would be obviously pretty shocked. But there is a thing in the league: once you become a minimum player, you're stuck at that number. Like Carmelo Anthony was stuck at that number. The only real path I've seen to become a minimum player and then move out of that threshold is if you're a high-level prospect center, like a Nerlens Noel, who then. Falls to the minimum pool, then lands somewhere, and then some team convinces themselves oh, you're worth a little bit of the mid-level. That's kind of the only real path I've seen well, players go from minimum to
2: more money. Reggie Jackson went down a minimum and then made more money with the Clippers. Yeah, that's a good example. He's making like $8 million, but it was the time when $8 million meant something as opposed to now or she's below average or whatever. Jake, what's going to happen to Kevin Durant? That's the big question.
4: I feel like every story I've written over the last couple of days has had that caveat somewhere in there. Like the Phoenix Suns were definitely a team that was monitoring OG Ananobi. And now with Brooklyn being unstable, why would Phoenix trade multiple picks and whatever other assets that Toronto is going to want to acquire in order to part with OG Mm -hmm. when Kevin Durant could, in theory, become available in a couple of months? And I think the same could be said for... Literally any team that is willing to put in multiple draft picks for somebody right now, and they don't necessarily feel the exact pressure to do something immediately like the Los Angeles Lakers.
3: So could this Kyrie Irving deal have a cooling effect on the trade market? Because now teams are going to want to retain assets for the bigger fish.
4: In a certain extent, yes. I don't think it's going to dramatically shut things down because there are only so many teams that will actually have a shot at getting KD no matter what. That could expand come June, July, if the Nets all of a sudden, again, we're all speaking of hypotheticals here. If they get a trade request from KD, then the Nets decide to shift gears. We're going for asset management here. We're going for young players and picks and and we're moving forward into a new direction. Then that could obviously really change the market for Durant because last year it was all what deal can Brooklyn do that will send him to a team that is also a championship contender and leaves Brooklyn in position to compete without Kevin Durant. And I think that's still going to be a case for one side. Like no team is going to be willing to trade for Kevin Durant if they gut their whole roster and then he's going to be looking to leave again. So that'll still eliminate a lot of teams, but the Brooklyn side of it all and what they're looking for would be a massive, obviously, factor into what those deals can end up becoming
0: I actually like the Brooklyn Nets now with DFS and Spencer Dinwiddie I do too better than last week when they had Kyrie and then not the same sort of defensive way I mean Royce O'Neill's is fine he's solid but DFS is one of the most underrated contracts in the league and one of the most underrated players Mm -hmm. because of his do-it-all star in his role abilities and now that they got Camp Thomas here (laughs) why do you need Kyrie You got Spencer Dinwiddie and Cam Thomas. Cam Thomas now, he has more 40-point games in his career, two of them, than Penny Hardaway, Rasheed Wallace, Steve Francis, Karam Butler, Sean Marion, Fred Van Vliet. Fred Van Vliet has not had multiple 40-point games. Kenny Smith, you go on down the line. Jake, now with this rotation and DFS added to the group, is it possible that we're looking at this not as a serious Ewing theory situation, but that Kevin Durant's really liking this and they don't need to make another move to improve his chances that he doesn't ask out.
4: Their defense clearly got better. And they're also very deep right now, if you consider Cam Thomas a long-term rotation piece, which, look, hey, he's been good. Better than Sean Kemp. I just said it. He's better than Michael Finley. He's been good. That's what that stat says. Both Finney Smith and Dinwiddie cannot be aggregated for more players or with another player on the Nets roster. So their options for moving those players on are limited. And also... The Nets, I was told, did not intend to move Spencer Dinwiddie. They were targeting Dorian for well over a year, like I said. I wasn't expecting those guys to be rerouted when they were looking at ways to expand that deal. Ben Simmons' trade value is tricky, obviously. So you would think, just by process elimination, that their easiest avenues to get better here are something with Seth Curry, Patty Mills, and Joe Harris, who has varying interest from parties being that his contract is super large and has another year on it. And he has clearly looked diminished since a bunch of lower body injuries and a long-term return from that ankle surgery. But I think they will continue to try to look to get better until Kevin Durant is out the door. If they win a title this year, if they make one more trade and they win a title, which again is going to be an uphill road, all these headaches and stuff would probably be worth it. Right. That's kind of the whole story. I mean, I mean, if you were working for the Nets the last couple of years, if you get one ring this summer, is it worth it to you?
2: No, it's all worth it. It's all worth it. Even if Durant leaves, right. This is what people ask about Toronto with Kawhi Leonard. Yeah, absolutely. It's worth it because there are people who do this for their entire lives and don't get one, (laughs) one of them. (laughs) Um, So (laughs) this idea that, Oh man, but we compromised our ability to, compete for however many, that's irrelevant. You go and get one and then from there you rebuild. I'll do it again. I'll build it all over again. I'd rather do that than have a long window of almost being there, but never quite.
0: Jake, I wanted to ask you, you mentioned Ben Simmons trade value. How much do you think the Brooklyn Nets view this as a sunk cost? Like We shouldn't look at moving Ben Simmons at the trade deadline through the lens that this is who we traded for in the James Harden deal last year. And if you want to even reverse that to the Jared Allen and Karis Levert, what you end up with, like, let's say Ben Simmons to the Spurs or Ben Simmons to Charlotte, rebuilding teams that could take on a project like that, rehabbing him and revitalizing his career for Gordon Hayward or Terry Rozier or Keldon Johnson in San Antonio, like, Do you think the Brooklyn Nets would be open to just moving on from the Ben Simmons
4: situation,
0: even if it means they don't get a near all-star value at this point with his
4: trade stock? At this trade deadline, no. This summer, all bets are going to be off. But right now, to your point about looking at this through the lens of this is what you got back for James Harden after all you gave up for James Harden. And remember, everyone talks about the picks that the Rockets have from Brooklyn as the big cost for Harden. To me, it's Jared Allen. Jared Allen right now is arguably you know a top five center in the league when you consider his defensive prowess. Nick Claxton's been fantastic, but imagine if you had both those guys. Mm-hmm. And that would have obviously stunted Claxton's growth. And they also you know, gave up Karras-Liver in that deal as well. Dinwiddie ends up going out the door after widely reported not seeing third eye to third eye with Kyrie. <laughs> the fact he's back in Brooklyn at a focal point of the Kyrie trade was kind of funny to me. But back to Simmons, they also know that, they need him at this current juncture to compete in the postseason and while he's clearly a zero factor in terms of being a scoring weapon. I remember that night that played in Philly without Kevin Durant, the first big Simmons versus Embiid game yep. where the crowd was vitriolic and looking for blood. Simmons didn't do much, but out in transition with the ball in his hands, even if he's just a wrecking ball that can do something into a dribble handoff for Kyrie at the time, but Seth Curry, Kevin Durant coming back from injury, he's still able to do something of value in terms of getting guys open shots, which is a real thing that is going to be valuable in the postseason. It'll be more difficult in half-court situations, obviously, and he's also arguably still a very strong and capable, switchable defender. That being said, that's not the two-time all-star that... The Citrus were dangling on the trade block for a year, holding out for someone of James Harden's ilk. So it is a tough pill to swallow, but I think it's a much easier pill to get someone else to swallow in the summer when you can reset and go back to the drawing board and really look at everything from a thousand foot view.
2: Where do the Toronto guys go? Or who's, I guess, most lustful for the Toronto guys?
0: Lustful. Great word.
4: If you guys want some insight also into what's happening behind the scenes here, I just got a text from someone saying the Kings made a trade. And then I texted the Kings and they said, why is everyone saying that we haven't done anything yet?
2: So that's the kind of stuff I'm dealing with today. To me, that's the reaction of someone who just did a trade. Maybe (laughs) we'll find out.
4: It's a non-denial. Why is everybody
0: texting me? That is a non-denial.
4: I said, I got a text. And they said, no, nothing yet. And I wrote back. LOL. Nothing yet. With Toronto, OG Ananobi is like the bell of the ball, right? People want Pascal Siakam. I've had several teams say Toronto is willing to talk about Pascal Siakam, but I keep hearing from people who are connected to that situation that Siakam is not someone expected to be traded. Honestly, right now, these are early afternoon to me, the most likely rapper to be traded with big value is Fred Van Vliet. I think the Clippers, um, Sorry, just reading something else.
0: What trade just went through?
4: Nothing. Are you sure?
0: You can be honest with us.
4: Just getting a data point. Okay,
0: data point. Breadcrumb.
4: The text was that the Knicks and the Nets are apparently not in on OG on an OB. He's going to Memphis. It's going to happen. Memphis has been monitoring him. I know that. That's all I can say.
0: Okay, thank you.
4: But Fred, I mean, the Clippers are probably the team that is most inclined, as I wrote earlier today, to actually make a move at point guard right now. The Suns get mentioned, Minnesota is kind of dealing with the D'Angelo Russell situation. Miami has Kyle Larry in in the mix, but it really does seem like the Clippers from all my conversations are the team looking for veteran point guard help. That is like most inclined to make a move. Is that a Fred VanVleet marriage? We'll find out, but Fred seems like the Raptor that will get them high value. That is actually most likely to go out the door. Jake
0: Thank you so much you stayed awake and you kept your third eye open the entire time your other two were kind of fluttering a little bit you need some sleep i know we're 48 hours away from the trade deadline thank you so much for joining us this week we congratulated you back then but congrats again on your new gig at yahoo thank you sir and please tell the people where they can find your third eye open at the location here
4: (laughs) yahoo sports my twitter jake l fisher I do my show on the call app twice a week, and you can still buy my book that's out, Built to Lose, How uh, the NBA's Tanking our Change League Forever. It has been out for a while now, but if you haven't gotten it, there's still really interesting stuff in there that I think any NBA fan will like. Jake, appreciate you. Keep that screen
0: time under 20 hours. I think you can do it this week.
3: We've been having some timeline issues on Cinephobe lately. Oh my God. Episodes have been coming out much later than we record them. And then we have to operate in the present as if we don't already know the future. Wow. And it's really causing a lot of havoc in the timeline so much so that it's influenced basketball Illuminati. Now, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to pretend like we don't know when LeBron James is breaking the scoring record. It's pretty awkward for everybody else.
2: I submit to you. That we hop in the DeLorean, gun it to 88 miles an hour, and take everybody to the future. Oh, man. You thought that this thing would last past Tuesday night? Absolutely not. No chance. We're not waiting around for this. This thing is getting done
0: tonight. It is symbolic when you think about the number that he needed, 36... He was 23 for a while, then six, six divided by two equals three. Mm -hmm. It was all preordained that he was going to need 36 and he was going to do it against OKC 2012 NBA finals. What was the team? He vanquished all of those demons and won his first title. Who was it against? I mean,
2: it was against those very same OKC Thunder.
0: That's right. So people are trying to connect the dots. Why OKC? Why would LeBron choose? He gets the scoring record against the same team that he got his first ring against. It just seemed all signs were pointing to OKC.
2: This is what I'm going to tell you guys, right? And this one's real easy. Tuesday night's game was broadcast on TNT. Now, Why would TNT have Oklahoma City, who many of us thought was going to be the worst team in the league or one of the worst? We thought for sure they were going to be going for Wembenyama. Why would that have been on the national TV schedule if they didn't know ahead of time? Look, Thursday I get. Milwaukee, it's one of the best teams in the league. It's got a perennial MVP candidate in Giannis, their championship contender. That's a great game. We want to watch that. Why would anyone say, ooh, OKC, put them on national TV? I'll tell you why. It's because they knew. It was all written.
0: Team was supposed to be in the tank. When they put out the schedule, they knew they had to put OKC on the schedule during this little run here, this little stretch where he could be breaking the record. And it's a testament to the team that they've done very well in OKC this year. They've actually played, you know, Shea Gildress Alexander has been fantastic this year, maybe the most improved player.
2: But how did the league know that when they made the schedule at the beginning
0: of the year, Tom? Following the script, Arian Foster, he broke their news It was courageous what he did on the PFT commenter show. What is it called? Microdosing? Yes. He had the gumption, the clarity to open his third eye and realize this is not right what's happening in the NFL. And maybe others like the Basketball Illuminati podcast will follow suit and expose the script. We knew this was all preordained. The
3: king has been crowned. What do all good scripts have? unexpected twists. I was say film noir film noir indeed. I mean, just when you think that it's all headed a certain direction, you have the allegedly unexpected turn Hmm. of LeBron James breaking the record on Tuesday night when everybody is preparing the parade for Thursday. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar never played for the Oklahoma city thunder, even though he wanted to 20 (laughs) years after he retired. When Oklahoma City (laughs) got a team, he wanted to be there. Couldn't fit him in the cap, you know? No, 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 no. Couldn't fit cap in the cap.
2: Here's what really happened. He wanted there to be a team in Oklahoma.
3: That was his lifelong dream.
2: His options were actually number three, Lakers, number two, the Knicks, number one, for a team to move to Oklahoma so that he could play for them. Alas, he lost out on his first two hopes and had to settle for being a Laker.
3: We would expect nothing less from a Spring Hill Entertainment production than for LeBron James to celebrate his record earlier than everybody expected. But not us, because we keep our third eye open.
2: Damn right.
0: This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines.